What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are, of course, a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where all of our new content will be posted throughout the rest of the offseason and heading into the regular season as well. Now, as I'm saying this, I've been trying to send some messages on Twitter in the last few minutes here, uh, arranging a couple of guest spots over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Paul Spohr is going to be joining us to talk about the Detroit Tigers in the middle of DMing him uh, regarding when that's going to be. And Twitter's not letting me send messages or tweets or anything right now. Twitter's kind of strange. It's been a strange place for a little while. I thought that they had mostly figured it out. But the last couple of days have been a little bit weird on the platform. So I'm going to extend the invitation that we did a couple of months back when there was that initial fear over Twitter closing down. We still have our Discord pages. Uh, I'm gonna prob- I'm gonna try and tweet out the link if I can, um, but I mean, Twitter's kind of putting me in a tough spot here because if we can't tweet out things, that's kind of where we're seeing things from. Uh, there'll be different. I mean, if Twitter does crash, if it does crash tonight, I don't think it will. Um, but we'll have stuff up on SportsEthos.com. We'll have links to the Discord. I'll try and tweet one out if I can. If you guys are able to send me a message and I can message you back. Um, Please do, and I'll send you guys a link, an invite link. But right now, uh, a little bit scary to be looking at Twitter, specifically with the NBA trade deadline coming up tomorrow. Uh, We're going to be doing a live show here at Sports Ethos. We're going to be live for five hours. I'm going to be hosting an hour of that show. I'm going to be on with my friend Dan Bespris. For the first time on an actual freaking podcast, Dan and I are going to be doing it together. Uh, And there's going to be a bunch of other people coming in and out. But I know I specifically looked at the schedule uh, just for part of it anyway. Uh, and I'm going to be on with Dan, which is great. And I'm hoping that Twitter is fully operational tomorrow because that'll be a huge part of how we send out those links to you. But go ahead and check out Sports Ethos on YouTube. We're going to have coverage from, I believe it's 7.30 to 12.30 Pacific time. I think those are the times, but it's going to be all throughout the morning and early afternoon, uh, depending on your time zone, of course. But make sure you're subbing to the Sports Ethos YouTube channel. Got a lot of fun stuff planned over there on baseball and in basketball. And make sure you're subscribing to the podcast here. I appreciate you guys who have already done so. we got a lot of cool stuff coming up over the next few weeks. we got rankings still. We have team previews. Tomorrow, it's going to be Frank Stample from CBS and Fantasy Baseball today. We're going to be taping that one later. I'm debating doing it live. I know Frank does all his shows live anyway, so it wouldn't really be a bother to him if we did end up doing that one over StreamYard. Uh, still figuring it out, but regardless, it'll be in your podcast feeds tomorrow evening. I think we're doing 5 p.m. Eastern on the taping. So by about 7 o'clock tomorrow, uh, Yankees preview with Frank Stample will be up in your feeds as well. But today... We're going to continue with shortstop rankings, and we're going to go down to number 25. We did 15 yesterday, more than we've been doing on an initial show. We've typically done 10, 10, and 10. I I think, and I'm still tinkering with the formats of everything, and forgive me, this is my first year doing this, doing these kind of this kind of content. I think we're going to do 15 and 10 going forward for different rankings. Um, now, as I say that... I probably can't really do it so much. I think that that might be the way that they come out written over in the draft guide. I think we might do 25. I might end up doing 30. I'm just still figuring out exactly the way that I want it to look. Uh, I'm not the most technologically advanced person, so I'm trying to make them look as as nice as I can. Um, But we're also just trying to make it, you know, what makes the most sense, right? I don't think you guys need to see write-ups on 53rd baseman and 52nd baseman. 
Uh, I think you guys get the gist. Once we get past about 10 or 12, and then I mean, we're going well past that, we're going to give you at least 25 per position. There'll be some that go a little bit deeper. Starting pitching, I'd like to go 100 names deep, and outfield, I'd like to do at least 50. Uh, 50's probably about right. I probably could even do more with outfield. Uh, but yeah, the general point of that of that ramble was that I'm still figuring out this content. This is my first year in the fantasy baseball industry. I'm still trying to figure out um, the way that timing all should work, the way that you know different rankings should work. Uh, I, I'm still generally pretty new at this, so bear with me as the format is not perfect yet, as you might see on some of the big name, uh, big name brand podcasts. Anyway, we're still figuring out um, exactly our style here, so forgive me there. Um, but we got a lot of content coming up for you, and today we're going to complete our shortstop rankings. As we do that, we're going to start at number sixteen. Went through the top 15 yesterday, and I guess I will quickly go through them in case you guys missed that show. Would recommend you guys go and check it out. But number one, we have Trey Turner. Number two, Bo Bichette. Three is Tatis. Four, Bobby Witt. Uh, number five, Corey Seager. Six, Francisco Lindor. Seven, O'Neill Cruz. Eight, Dansby Swanson. Nine, Xander Bogarts. Ten is Tim Anderson. Eleven, Tommy Edmond. Twelve, Willie Adamas. Thirteen is Wander Franco. 14 is Jeremy Pena, and 15 is Carlos Correa. Pretty confident in my rankings, although I have said this before uh, with different positions, that there will be some changes here and there. Uh, This might not be the perfect 100% completed version that you see up in our draft guide. It's pretty damn close, but, you know, if you do see somebody flip from 5th to 6th or, you know, 7th up to 5th or something like that, don't come, don't come getting upset because you said, hey, you thought you said this guy was better than that guy. I've been trying to be clear about it the entire time I'm doing these rankings that they are still a work in progress. And up until opening day, they will be a work in progress because of different news and notes that we will get out of different teams and we'll see from different players in spring training. But anyway, enough of the rambling. We are going to get into it here. Ahmed Rosario at number 16. He had an incredible year for me last year. I had him on a couple of teams, including my home league team. He had 11 home runs, 18 stolen bases, 86 runs scored, 71 RBIs, and he batted 283. Fantastic year from him, and the projections have him pretty much doing exactly the same thing. A uh, couple, couple fewer runs, a couple fewer RBIs, but generally you're, you're getting about the same kind of projections. Um, slight, like maybe you take like 5% in general off of what he did last year, 5 or 7%. And that's pretty much what they're calling for. And I think that overall, that does make sense. I think that, you know, at his age, seeing what he's done these last couple of seasons, you know, he's going to give you slightly over double-digit home runs and steals. He's going to give you a good batting average. We've seen that for the last couple of years now as well. Should should be able to bat you about 280. That's what he has been doing uh, for the career. And I know there was some abbreviated seasons in there as well. There were some seasons with the Mets where he wasn't fully uh, fully developed yet. Uh, overall, it, it equals out to in just about 700 games, a 274 batting average. So you're going to be getting good average with double-digit homers and double-digit steals. And I think you're going to be pretty happy with him uh, in this lineup. We've talked about it a lot. We got Quan at the top. We got Ahmed Rosario projected a bad second. And then after him, we got Ramirez. Uh, that would be Jose Ramirez, Josh Bell, Andres Jimenez, Josh Naylor, Oscar Gonzalez. It's a pretty solid lineup. Uh, even you know, however much money they spent to build this lineup, it's a pretty solid team nonetheless. And I think with Ahmed Rosario, those runs, even though they're projected to come down a little bit, could very easily still see him get over 80 at the top of that order, one or two in the order, however they end up figuring it out because they might switch back and forth a little bit. You're going to see those home runs. We've seen those double-digit home runs every single year that he's been in the bigs in a full season, with the exception of 2018 where he hit nine. 
that was his first full season, and we're not going to hold that against him. Doesn't quite steal as much as we did see in those early days. 24 and 19 steals in those first two full seasons has gone down to 13 and 18. But you're still getting a positive in the category, and I think at this point of the draft, he's one of those guys we started to talk about yesterday where you're at the end of the range of comfortability. Uh, you know, he's going 16th by ADP. That's exactly where I have him, even though there are some switches around with the guys above him and below him. Uh, myself and the early drafters are in agreement here on number 16. Now, the minimum pick of 74 is bonkers. Nuts. Don't do it. That's too high to be taking him. There is no need for it. But if he gets anywhere close to that maximum pick, and you know what? I don't, It's not 74 anymore. Uh, I apologize. I had not put in the proper filters here. Let's see what he's going at in these recent drafts. Uh, if you don't put in the filters, then you get a whole bunch of crazy stuff. Well, it's 96. It's still a little bit crazy. Not as crazy as, as it would have been if I hadn't uh, adjusted those time date filters. But 96 is the minimum still is, is pretty high. 141 at the max feels pretty damn good. Uh, the ADP of 118, I'm there for it. I think that that is a proper price to pay for him. You know, we've talked at length about shortstop, about how there are different strategies. And we've done it for pretty much every single position, how, you know, you can go for your Trey Turners and Boba Shets at the top, or you can wait till those middle round guys, your Corey Seegers and, you know, your O'Neill Cruises and blah, blah, blah. Or you can wait later on. We've talked strategy a lot. We did it a lot yesterday. Yesterday was a very long solo podcast for me. We went for about an hour and 20 minutes talking about the different ways you can go about shortstop, the different guys to be targeting in that upper tier, in the upper class. And with a guy like Rosario, I think it does make sense to take him generally here, uh, regardless of what you've done earlier in your draft, because he doesn't hurt you anywhere. Even if you do already have a shortstop, he's somebody where you get a little bit of insurance, you can put him at a middle infield slot, and it's really not going to hurt you considering this price. I think it is very reasonable to expect somewhere close to top 100 uh, production out of Ahmed Rosario. It might not exceed you know, top 100, but anywhere in that kind of 100 range, I think is probably what we're going to be seeing out of him this coming season. Next up, and I know that this one is going to be, that's a little tricky. I mean, it's tricky for me. It's tricky for you guys. We're talking Javier Baez. And, you know, I'm pretty much in line with where he is going based on ADP. He's going as the 18th uh, shortstop off the board. I have him at number 17. There's just too much potential to fully write off after one season. And there's too much upside there. Potential is probably not the right word. It's more the upside that you have with Javi Baez that we really shouldn't be writing off after his first year in a, in a new situation. We saw it with Francisco Lindor. You see with countless other players that their first year in a new environment, playing for a new team, it it doesn't always go according to plan. And he had a very disappointing season. 17 homers, 9 steals. He batted 238. He, I mean, he was out there most of the time, 144 games. But you can make a very strong argument that outside of the deepest of leagues, you were just going to be dropping him. Like, uh, in my home league, I think he was dropped, you know, fairly relatively early last year. And no one bothered picking him up. And by early, I mean probably about, like, the all-star break. And at that point, people kind of think, okay... If he was going to figure it out this year, he would have figured it out this year, which is typically, I mean, it's not always going to work like that. You might drop somebody and they turn it on or vice versa. But, man, like he was pretty safe to drop at any point last season. You could have found replacement value in a 12-teamer pretty easily. But, you know, my point at the, off the top here with him is that if you look at the track record, all the years of his career pretty much, he's, when he's playing full seasons, and that's the majority of the years, he's given you close to 30 home runs. He's stealing closer to 20 bags than he is the 10. And the batting average has never really been that bad until recently. 
Look at those first few full seasons, 273, 273, 290, 281, even 2021, it was 265. I don't think we're going to see him go for 238 again, and neither do the projections. The lowest projection for batting average is Steamer at 240, and that goes up to 255 with the bat. And I would tend to lean more towards the bat projection. They're a little loftier on him than the other ones, and you know, I, I, would, I would have to take the over on the general projection lines. Uh, ATC has him for 21 and 12. The bat has him for 23 and 13 with that you know, slight boost in batting average compared to Ariel, who has him at 244. Um, you know, Derek Cardi has him at 255. And I am, I'm definitely more inclined to believe the 255 number or even a little bit higher. I know that ballpark isn't great, but they're doing some – I'm not even sure exactly what they're doing to Comerica. There's going to be some changes this year. I think they're bringing walls in and moving them down a little bit, I think. I don't even know if they fully announced it 100%, but there are going to be – it's going to be a more hitter-friendly environment at Comerica. So Javier Baez, you know, going from 31, 30-ish home runs down to 17. Uh, I don't know that we're going to see that happen every single year. In fact, I would be very skeptical if he – uh, the fact that he wouldn't hit 20 home runs. Like, there's a couple projections. Uh, the Bat X, actually, which incorporates StatCast metrics, they have him going for under 20. I can't see him doing that, regardless of if they move the walls in or not, or whatever they did. Uh, he's been an upwards of 20 home run and at times over 30 home run guy in his career. Uh, you know, two seasons over 30, and he had a 29 in there as well. I don't think that he is all of a sudden here, uh, just turning 30 years old, going to become a sub-20 home run guy, regardless of the park that he's in. So that should rebound. The steals were not great last year, only stealing nine bases. He's still quick. He can still get you steals, and every projection system has him going for double-digit steals, the lowest being 10 and the highest being 13. The counting stats in that lineup, are they going to be fantastic? No, I don't think they're going to suck. I think they're going to just kind of be okay. The projections are probably about correct there and expecting roughly 150 runs and RBIs put together. It's probably about what you're going to get out of him. And at this range, I think it's, I think it's fine. Where he's going in drafts is pick 162 overall, and I'm looking at uh, draft champions formats on the NFBC since January 1st. There's been 48 drafts, and his price to me at 162 He's not a huge target of mine, but he's definitely somebody where there's a lot of room for improvement over what we saw last year, and there is a significantly reduced draft price to what we have seen in previous years. So, you know, give me Javier Baez, batting second in that lineup with the adjustments they've made to the ballpark, and I think that we're going to be pretty happy uh, investing in him. Not, not Again, not to say, you know, push him up the board, he's one of my guys or anything like that, but where he's going, it's very reasonable to expect some kind of bounce back and a positive return on investment uh, in the 160 range. You're getting him around 11 or so. Like, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that for sure. In a 15-teamer, you're getting him in round 11. So 12-teamers, even deeper. Uh, I'd be willing to take the chance on Javier Baez. Now, Tyro Estrada is the next guy we are going to talk about here. I have him ranked at number 18. He is somebody who was talked about today over on Twitter. I saw our buddy Rob Silver who actually appeared on the Roto-Wire podcast today. I'm definitely going to have to go check that one out. Rob, Rob is one of the best minds in the industry. Um, he tweeted something out about Tyro Estrada saying, you know, I'm not sure where the cold water necessarily... Or let me, you know what, let me find the tweet because I don't want to paraphrase Rob here uh, because it was really good, a good conversation that he started here with a few other people on Twitter. Uh, it, feels like every, it feels like absolutely every person on here is fading Tyro Estrada this year. Like a giant fluke, it won't repeat. And he's talking about projections. And the worst public projection for him is the Bat X, which is 12 and 16 with 120 runs in RBIs and 262 average, which would be, 
according to Rob here, I haven't done the numbers, but you can trust Rob. That's 2022 Christian Yelich essentially, and that was a top 90 player. So even if you do say, okay, the power that we saw out of Tyro Estrada last year might not be sustainable, 14 home runs. Let's call it 10 home runs. Let's call it, you know, let, let's reduce everything last season by a good, you know, 15, 20%. Let's call those 14 home runs, let's call them 10, even more than, we're talking more than 20% there. Uh, let's take the runs from 71 down to 65. Let's take the RBIs from 62 down to 55, and we'll take a few steals off. We'll say he goes from 21 down to 16. You know, that's still great production. If he is going to be giving you double-digit homers, double-digit steals, about 130, 120 RBIs, and a pretty decent batting average, I think whatever your, your concerns are with him, we can look at him and say, okay, he's not going to hurt you in batting average so much. He was 260 last year. Over the course of his career, which before last year is really not much, you're talking about 100-some-odd games before last season, but you're still talking a 255 hitter with a 167 stretch baked in in his sophomore year, which was, of course, 2020, where you can't really judge anybody on 2020, uh, which was just horrendous for him in those in those 26 games. He had a 2% walk rate, 36% K rate. It's, it's not him. What we've seen in these last couple of years, I think, is a lot closer to him, which is a sub-20% K rate, walking about 7% of the time, giving you good batting average, and stealing a decent amount of bases. I don't think it'll be 21 again necessarily, but when you factor in a couple things, when you look at the regression that's likely to happen based on you know the relative unknown of a somebody popping up out of the blue and giving you that kind of production, you automatically are going to say, okay, they're going to regress a little bit. But when you also factor in the, still, the, the new stolen base rules and the fact that there are going to be bigger bags, less pickoff attempts to first base, and I mean – Still not sure exactly how that's going to work. You know, I think pitchers will probably put a lot more effort and a lot more thought into when they're throwing over. Uh, so, you know, maybe the quality of those pickoff attempts are going to be better than what we've seen in the past. But I still do think, you know, when you take those 21 steals, you look at the projections, the lowest one is 14 with zips, but most of them have them about 16 to 18 range. I think you could take that and say, okay, that's about the floor that you'd be expecting, you know. I think that that's a maybe maybe zips would be the floor with about fourteen, but anywhere in that range of you know ten and above, you're you're going to be pretty happy, especially considering where you're getting Tyro Estrada at one hundred and sixty eight based on ADP. You're getting him with second base and shortstop eligibility. You know he doesn't have to set the world on fire for him to return good value in that draft slot. Double digit homers and steals, one hundred and twenty, one hundred and thirty runs and RBIs, and a solid batting average. Nothing not to like there. I'm pretty much in line with the community here. Uh, he is 19th based on ADP. I have him at 18. You're splitting hairs at that point. I like Tyro Estrada, and there's no real reason uh, to be fading him heading into this season. I know a lot of people are worried, but I don't think there is much of a need to be too concerned about him. Okay, next up, we have Nico Horner, and he is going a little bit higher in by ADP than my projections. He's going as the 17th shortstop off the board, and there is a little bit of a gap between him and the guy going right below him, who is Javi Baez. It's almost 30 picks between 134 and 162. Horner is kind of a tricky one to figure out. Um, you know, he showed a lot of speed last season. There's a lot of power. I don't know that we're necessarily going to see those exact same numbers from Horner again. You know, it was... It was kind of out of the blue a little bit. I don't think anybody was, you know, sitting there watching Nico Horner do what he did as he was, you know, rosterable in shallow formats last year, which I don't think anybody was really expecting. And I guess it leads you to the same question as Tyro Estrada. Uh, when somebody kind of comes out of the blue like that and gives you a great season when you're like, uh, 
you know, there's not much of a track record. And with young guys, it's hard to, you know, hard to blame them for lack of a track record. But with Nico Horner, I feel like it did still catch us by surprise a little bit, even though, you know, like I said, not much of a track record there. But in the cups of coffee that he'd had before the bigs, there was not really much power. You know, he had 10 home runs last season, but he didn't hit one in 2021 or 2020, which was a combined 92 games. And it's not like you say, okay, it was seven games or something and he didn't hit a home run. We're talking more than half a season, no home runs to then go up and hit 10 home runs. Pretty impressive. The stolen base numbers for him in his first season, which was 20 games, he had zero. 2020 and 2021 combined, which we said 92 games, he had eight. And then last year in 135 games, he stole 20 bases. Now, is that who he is now? Is he going to be a 10 and 20 guy? Projections seem to think that that's pretty close to what he is. Depending on where you're looking, ATC, which I, I, I tend to look at the most. I look at all of them, but ATC is my fallback if there's a disagreement between the other projection systems. They have him for nine home runs and 19 stolen bases with a 278 batting average. And I think that that's probably a, a little high, honestly. I don't, I don't like to disagree with projections. In my head, there's something about it. Like, these guys are a lot smarter than I am. Their systems are a lot smarter than I am, certainly. And looking at them, I try to generally agree because I know that they know more than I do. But at the same time, I don't know that we can necessarily write these stats down at Penn for Nico Horner at 10 homers and 20 stolen bases, which, you know, the worst projection on him is Zips. And Zips has generally been the low man on projections this draft season. Uh, Maybe that's how it always is. I'm still kind of new to the whole projection thing. I've looked at them here and there in the past, but never as seriously as I have this year. Um, seven home runs and 14 steals is what they have for him. They are the lowest projection. I don't know. I really don't know what to expect from him, and that's why I think the uncertainty has me lowering him just a little bit. Not like a crazy amount, but from the 17th guy down to 19th, I think it's more so the overall number is a little bit too high for me. At 134, he's going ahead of Baez. You know, He's going ahead of Tyro Estrada, and I don't think with him and Estrada it's going to be a massive difference. But I'm, I, I would take Estrada. I would slightly lean towards him. And especially when you look at the fact that there's a 35-pick difference between them. I don't really get it. And that's based on based on ADP. Like, their minimum picks are close. It's just the maximum on Estrada is about 50 picks higher, which definitely has an impact. I mean, we're looking at 48 drafts. It's not just, like, one person lowered this ADP. But we're talking 35 picks here. I don't see the need to be taking Horner as high as he's going. Even though I think he'll probably be fine, I have no real problem looking at him and saying, you know, he can give you decent speed with, with you know, chipping some home runs. You know, the counting stats are going to be fine. They're not going to not going to blow you away. Last year was 60 runs, 55 ribbies. He's giving you a good batting average. We know he's going to give you a good batting average, so that's probably something that'll boost him up as well. But the overall outlook for him in that lineup, I don't think is the rosiest necessarily. I'm fine to take other guys there, even though I like Horner. I might end up with a share or two, depending on where he's going, when I really, really, truly start drafting in March. But as of right now, I just don't need to take him where he is going to pick 134. Nothing wrong with it. Just not my favorite move uh, in the world right now. Okay, let's move on now to number 20. We have Ezekiel Tovar, and I'm excited for Ezekiel Tovar. I know a lot of people are. I know the potential is there, and anytime anybody is playing in Coors Field, we get excited. It doesn't matter who they are. Uh, well, I mean, it, it does to some extent, but you hear anybody, especially a prospect with a decent little bit of pedigree, coming up to play in Coors Field, it's going to give you that warm and fuzzy feeling. 
He played nine games last year at the big league level. One homer, two runs, two RBIs. Nothing we need to look at. It's such a small sample size that it's hard to really to do anything with it. If you look at what he did in A last season, which is where he spent most of his time, it was 66 games. He had 13 homers, 17 steals, and he batted 318. Man, uh, that potential in Coors Field is unlimited. And you look at some of the projections, even as a rookie, some of them are pretty big on him. Steamer has him for 17 and 12 with a 280 batting average. If he gets to that, then he's going to be a top 15 shortstop. I think it's possible. Uh, it might be a little lofty to project him there. I think you're probably closer to like the bad X of 12 and 11 with about a 270 batting average. They have him for 267, but we'll round that to 270 for these purposes. I think that that's probably what you can expect from him. But playing in Coors Field, the upside is so high, and the price is so good right now at 240. He is the 24th shortstop. I have pushed him up about four spots in my rankings here based on ADP. Just looking at it, the guy's going around his range. There's definitely a couple of riskier options uh, a little bit higher up the board here. C.J. Abrams, Alberto Mondesi. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about those guys. They'll be later on down this list but I don't think I'd want to take them over Tovar. You know, I, and upside is there for Modesty with steals. For Abrams, it's a pretty well-rounded fantasy game, but Tovar, considering he's kind of a five-category guy, or that's his outlook, uh, in Colorado, I think that he is going to be the guy that I have to go with. And I'd want to push him up even more, honestly, but I think 20 will probably make sense. I don't want to push him up too, too high. Uh, maybe by the time these are actually out and finalized, he might be... A touch higher, like maybe 19, 18. Um, but I think around around 20 feels pretty good for Tovar. And I think you can get him pretty late if you're in your standard 12, 10-team leagues. You can probably get him with your last pick, and I would take that dart throw. That would make a lot of sense for me there. Uh, and, you know, going into the 240, 250 range, that would be my advice with Tovar. If you're getting to the end of your 12-teamer and he's still sitting there, very last pick, uh, you might as well take a shot on that upside. Now, here we have a troublemaker. He is next up in these rankings. Very, very tricky person to rank. There might be no harder person. Well, there are probably a couple harder players to rank in fantasy, but it's really a short list, and Adalberto Mondesi is definitely on that list. Now, I have him as number 21. I want to have him higher. Last year, I took him in the seventh round of my home league. It was a 12-team. That was a 12-team home league, and... I was very happy for the first maybe three, four days. He stole like five bases. Even though he wasn't doing much else, he stole a couple bases for me. And then he was done. And I'm just pulling up the games played here. You guys, if you've listened recently, have heard my computer's been just awful recently. But here we go. Uh, 15 games last year is what we got out of Modesty. That's what I got out of my seventh-round pick. Now, he still stole five bases in those 15 games. Ridiculous. Like, he, he has 50 steal upside if he's healthy. But that's the thing. He is not healthy. He is never healthy. We don't even know if he's going to be healthy for opening day. And that's a huge concern for somebody who has played. Let me do a quick math here. 109 games in these last three seasons. 59 out of 60 in 2020. And that definitely made people want to invest these last couple of seasons. And even 2021. I mean, he played 35 games. But he had six homers and 15 steals in 35 games. I mean, when he is out there, the potential is like, you know, number one overall player in fantasy. We talked about this on Sleeper in the Bust when I was on with Justin last weekend. He legitimately has that upside to be the number one player in fantasy. Like, if he could give you like 20 home runs and 50 steals, that is something that is within his range. 
it's just a matter of how much he's going to be on the field. And he's, for the last couple of years, like I said, not been on the field whatsoever. Now, he's in a new situation for the first time in his career. He's always been a Kansas City Royal since 2016. I'm just looking at it. Jesus. 358 games since 2016. That is awful. Like, it's just very hard to invest. I want to have him lower, and I want to have him higher in my rankings all at the same time. Like, there is... There is no real way to properly evaluate Mondesi. You can say there's risk, and there is risk, and you know maybe he doesn't get hinged injured. That's the other side of the of the risk coin. Of you know he's only played a hundred and some odd games these last three years, one hundred and nine games. Well, Zips hasn't projected for or Zips uh, the depth chart Zips version hasn't projected for one hundred and seven. Steamer hasn't for one hundred and seven. ATC for one hundred and three. The bat one hundred and four. You know, none of these guys who make these projection systems will tell you this, but there is no way that anybody can tell you what kind of health he's going to have going into the season. We don't know. And it's all kind of guesses based on, you know, previous years' production and games played. And, you know, Zips bases it, I believe, on, you know, players who were similar comps based on age and profile. But we just don't know. We really don't know anything with Mondesi. And I, I like where we have him here in terms of the overall rankings. I think it's pretty good. 235, the 22nd uh, shortstop off the board. I'm fine to take him there. But it's it's you know there is a lot of risk associated with it. The upside is crazy. The upside could be first-round potential. It could be. If we're looking at the end of the season and Mondesi's a first-rounder, We'd be surprised, but we wouldn't be shocked as if it was like, you know, J.P. Crawford or Isaiah Kiner-Falefa or something. It is within the range of outcomes still. And you, you're you not paying for it like you have in previous years, which is why I'm more inclined to take a shot on him at pick 235. But if he gets any kind of helium and goes inside the top 200, I can't really be doing it. But where he is right now as a 21st shortstop, I'm pretty comfortable taking a shot on him. Or 21st in my rankings, 22nd overall. I'll take a shot on him there. For me, uh, you know, the upside does outweigh the risk at that point. Next couple of guys we're going to talk about here. I've actually already gone over them in the second base video, and they're not the most exciting players. We're talking Bryson Stott at 20, or excuse me, Luis Arias. I was getting ahead of myself. Luis Arias at 22 and Bryson Stott at 23. Now, I've talked about them in the second base show. We went into quite a bit of depth. And I don't know that I need to do it again for these guys. Now, with Bobby Witt Jr. yesterday, you know, there are certain players where I'll do it twice. I'll talk about them on the third base show and the shortstop show or the catcher show and the first base show or whatever the example is. I'll talk about these guys multiple times. But when it gets down to guys like Luis Arias, I don't think we really need to get into so much depth here. He's projected based on ATC. 19 homers, 67 runs, 64 RBIs, and a 241 average. You know, I like him. I think that he is kind of, he's fine. He's not somebody that I really want to be starting. Neither of these guys would I necessarily want to have in my starting lineup. They would be more, uh, not, I was about to say DH spot, like a utility slot kind of player or a middle infield type. Not really the most exciting in terms of a starting role. Bryson Stott has, a you know, the upside's probably a little bit higher because he steals bases. You're getting more power with Urias. I think that they're, they're pretty damn close uh, in terms of ranking here. You could you could pretty much flip a flop them, I think, uh, in terms of how they are ranked here on the NFBC. There's actually five spots of difference. Bryson Spot, Bryson Spot, Bryson Stott at number 20 and Luis Arias at 25. There's only 25 total picks separating them in that range. They are pretty close, but yeah, I went over them in depth in the sh- in the second base videos. 
I don't think there is too much need to go over them again. I like them fine. They are fallback options at the position, not somebody that you should be targeting at the top. Not not at all. And you're not going to have to get them at the top, but not somebody that I, I really want to have in my starting lineup. That would be... It would not mean that your draft has gone according to plan if you got Luis Arias as your starting shortstop, more of a utility bench asset kind of guy. Specifically in your shallow leagues, uh, you, you can pretty much you can pretty much forget about these guys. But next up, we have somebody who I'm not really sure how to view just yet because we don't really know much about him still at the major league level. C.J. Abrams, you know, I added him up in a couple of spots last season when he was with San Diego. Uh, when he first, before he even got called up, actually, I had him in those NA slots, those not not available or whatever they want to call them. Um, he was he was my guy uh, for a little while. Didn't do so much at the major league level last season. He was, you know, I mean, I guess if you're in your very, very deep leagues, he might have had some value for you, I guess. Seven steals. Eh, not really. I mean, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to push it here with him. There were times where he had some value, but overall, not really. Projections for him this season, pretty damn good. You know, the depth chart projections that go based on playing time are really like him. Uh, the Fangraphs one and the Zips one, they've got him for 11 and 19 and 11 and 18, respectively, with about a 255, 260 batting average. If he gets that, it'd be fantastic. I'm not really sure if he's going to have double digit power at the big league level. Not really sure of it yet. I mean, he had seven home runs in 30 AAA games. He probably will, but hitting two over 90 major league games last year definitely gives you a little bit of pause. His ISO was 0.7 or 0.77. Uh, it, was, it was awful. I'm not really sure we're going to get that much power. I think the bat's probably a little more accurate with those seven home runs projected. Now, the, the speed should be there, you know, around 15 steals and decent batting average. Not Again, we're at the point where we're not into exciting names. There is some, you know, some chance that later on down the season, perhaps he's a little more exciting. But heading into draft day, there's no need to really be that excited for C.J. Abrams. He's 21st based on ADP. Got him down at 24, and I, I feel pretty good about that. Uh, you know, if you want to split hairs and say you won't prefer him over Bryson Stott, you you could do that. I'm taking the better lineup there personally. And with Urias, you're getting more power. And I think, you know, you're going to have more counting stats as well from him there. The lineup that Abrams is in, you know, uh, it, it's going to be tough. And the run total projections range from 56 to 76. There's a lot that could happen in that lineup. It could be a very good year. It could be a tr- absolutely dreadful year for that entire organization. Nothing would shock me. I think where I have him, you know, I I feel pretty good about it. I don't think he's going to move. He's definitely not going to move outside of the top 25 because that's something else I'd noticed. Once you get outside of this top 25 names, it sucks. Like, it is absolutely dreadful. Uh, you definitely want to secure. I mean, you want to secure them earlier. But at the very least, you want to get someone in this range here. Because once it gets beyond that, that's what I meant with he's not going to move down. Um, the range beyond these guys is just a wasteland. It's already not good where we are. But if you let yourself get past this point, and I don't think many people will, but if you're in a deep league, 15-teamer, you know, five outfielders, uh, they those roster spots, they are tough to fill out. And, you know, you might end up having to take one of these shortstops. I wouldn't let it go pretty much. I wouldn't have let it go past Pena, really. But we're at the point where it's like last call. Uh, do not let it go past these guys here. C.J. Abrams at 24. And the last guy that I have as well, Jorge Mateo. I like Jorge Mateo. Last year, I loved Jorge Mateo. He was exceptional for me. He was exceptional for a lot of people. And it wasn't expected. 
no one in their right minds would have projected Jorge Mateo to give you double-digit homers, 35 steals, and actually chip in 115 or so runs in RBIs. He played 150 games. And I think there's a lot of players around Major League Baseball who, you know, they're not the most exceptional players, but for one reason or another, they get roles. And when they play a lot of games like Mateo, I mean, the defense definitely helps. But when they get roles and they play 100 and some odd games, 140, 150 games, they produce. And Mateo did produce. The question is, what is the role for this coming season? And Fangraphs has not projected right now roster resource. They have him starting on the bench. When you look at where he can play on the field, you know, he can bounce around the infield a little bit. I believe he can also play in the outfield. I don't expect him to lack for playing time. And, you know, you got to look at where is that going to come from. I would think Ramon Urias will probably lose some uh, playing time at third base. I believe Mateo is pretty, pretty all right at third base there. You'll see him mix around a little bit at second base. And, and here and there, he'll just get at bats all over the place. And I do expect him to still play probably four-ish times a week. And, you know, maybe he doesn't get 150 games. But if he gets what he's projected to from different systems, which is about 100, he gives you about seven, eight home runs, 20 steals, and, you know, call it about 80 runs in RBIs, 75, 80. You're going to take that, and there's probably a good chance that he's going to beat his ADP, which is right now 235. He doesn't have to beat it by a hell of a lot for him to be valuable. It just has to be, you know, at least a positive or at least a neutral, at the very worst, anyway, uh, return on your investment, that it's neutral, that you're not taking a loss. And I think with Mateo, there's not really much of a chance of you taking a loss here. With that speed, he doesn't have to play a lot. Like, you know, 150 games was great, but if he gives you 100, if he gives you 90, you're still going to get a lot of speed with a little bit of power. That lineup is a lot better than people give it credit for, and I think that regardless of where he is in it, you're still going to see a decent number of runs and RBIs put together, specifically runs because of the speed that he has. So I have him at 25. He's 23 based on ADP. I'll knock him down a couple of notches there, but overall, I'm still very happy to take him where he is going. And the thing about shortstop here is, as I'll conclude the show in just a second, you know, you there's not really much room for hot takes. There's not really much room. Like, I believe, um, looking at it, I haven't gone through all of them. Um, let's see. Yeah, I didn't move anybody outside who was outside of the top 25 by ADP inside of the top 25. All of the top 25 guys in my rankings are the top 20. There's moved around. They're not just, you know, one is one, two is two, three is three. There is there is some movement. I'm lower on Tommy Edman. I'm higher on, uh, who was I higher on than consensus? A little bit higher on Corey Seager, a little bit higher on um, Xander Bogarts and Tim Anderson. Like, there is going to be some movement here and there. But those top 25 names are pretty damn solidified. Once you get outside of them, like you can't really even make an argument for anybody outside of the top 25 to be inside of it. I mean, maybe Hassan Kim, maybe Oswald Peraza, you know, and maybe if you want to push it, maybe Ellie Dela Cruz. But there's really not much you can you can do here. Um, I'm just seeing if there's anybody else as I go down this list farther and farther. It's it's very tricky to find names outside of this top 25. So. You know, you're going to get one of them most likely to be very rare to leave your draft without one of the top 25 shortstops, but make sure you don't get it in the back of your head that, you know, shortstop is so deep. I can wait. I can wait. I can wait. It'll be my last thing I take. 
don't let it be too long because there is definitely a tipping point. I think there's a couple of tipping points. The first one is probably after about Francisco Lindor, O'Neill Cruz. Second one comes after about Jeremy Pena, and then the next one here. I mean, there's a. I mean, you could divide it many different ways, but certainly once you get past 25 for me and Jorge Mateo, there is no hope for you at the shortstop position, and at that point, probably middle infield as well. So make sure you're taking care of it. Maybe not, you know, you don't have to go first round shortstop, but relatively early, you know, at some point in the first hundred or so picks, it probably makes sense. If not then, then in the next 20 or 30 picks after that. Guys, appreciate you hanging out with us today. We'll be back here again tomorrow with Frank Stanfield of CBS. We're going to be doing our Yankees preview. Now, I'm not sure if Twitter is working. Let me see in these last 40 or so minutes if anything's changed. Uh, it says my message to Spore has not sent yet. That's not good. Uh, let's see. Try sending again. Nope. There's still something wrong with Twitter. I'm not even sure if I'll be able to tweet out this show. I hope I will. Uh, but if there is any problem with Twitter, go to sportsethos.com. You guys will find all the links to every show that we do there and all of our other great stuff. But guys, we'll see you again tomorrow. Until then, have a great night. Take care and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.